Our topic today is wisdom from above, as has been mentioned, James 3, verse 13 to 18, if you want to turn there. Um, We're going to refer to a few different verses in James, so I'll have you flip the page a couple times as we go along. Um, I would like to read the passage, then I'm going to pray, okay, and then uh, we'll, we'll dive into this together. So James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is the wisdom that comes down from above. Uh, It is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather uh, as we are this morning here and to sing praises to your name because you're worthy of all praise. And, Lord, uh, that you would send your Son as a sacrifice uh, for our sin, unworthy sinners. You're the one we adore. And, Lord, this morning as we look in this book of James, we're crying out for wisdom. We want to be people of wisdom. And it's sometimes in our day-to-day life, it's just hard to see the way forward. And, and Lord, uh, it's more than information it's, uh, it's you working in our hearts and lives and helping to direct our lives and a sensitivity to it. And so, Lord, just help us this morning as we think together uh, from this passage in James. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, um, to set this up a little bit, you remember uh, David. So it's First Chronicles 10, 11, 12, long in there. And it talks about Saul and his sons are killed in battle. And uh, David is the heir apparent for the throne of Israel. And the text talks about David's mighty men. (laughs) We could dwell there, but it's not the topic for today's sermon. But the 30 and then the 3. And it it, it mentions some of the incredible battles uh, where, where men who are committed to God, that God has enabled, achieved incredible victories against overwhelming odds. It's amazing. And anyway, like I said, I get excited about that. Um, and they rally to him at Ziklag. And then the text goes on and it talks about that at Hebron, then the tribes start rallying to David. They're going to make him king. And so it talks about the different tribes and they send bodies of thousands of men from the various tribes, and most of them are described as those who bore the shield and spear or mighty men of valor. And they're all coming together because they're going to make David king. And then there are the men of Issachar. It says uh, in First Chronicles 12.32 of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. 200 chiefs 
and all their kinsmen under their command. Probably great men of valor, but the the thing that I want to draw out of there is men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. One of the greatest needs we have today uh, that we face is for men and women who understand the times and know what God's people should do. We need people of wisdom. It's more than just information. Godly wisdom, be able to discern a glaring need for God's people to have clarity what's going on in our culture and to respond in ways that put God first. Uh, Men and women who understand that the glory of Christ surpasses any supposed freedom we have, and I'm thankful for them, cultural freedom, we have a lot, we're meeting here, nobody's right now persecuting us, praise God for it. But Christ surpasses even that. And then any freedom that I have in the sense of Christian liberty, that the glory of Christ is before any of it. And a glaring need for Christians, for men and women who understand that and and pursue the wisdom to be able to see how to do that. That in everything, the glory of Christ is first. And I'll put aside any freedom I have to if it glorifies Christ. We face a need for practical wisdom. We have a continuously growing need for discipline of life that helps us regulate how we interact with our technology. And I kind of beat up on that a little bit the last time I was here, so I'll I'll leave that alone. Um, But I will uh, mention the fact that, as I said, I'll leave it alone. Um, I will mention the fact that in this Uh, last time I was talking about distraction, but where I want to go with that this time is in our isolation that technology has brought, we find ourselves enslaved to sin, secret vices that we somehow feel are secret, and then find ourselves enslaved to them. We say we've got hundreds or even thousands of friends online, and yet we know nobody. Uh, We become harsh to one another in a way that we never would in face-to-face. Uh, engagements with one another. And then time itself starts to slip away as we waste hundreds and then thousands of hours pursuing and browsing we know not what. We need men and women of wisdom, priority, and focus. Godly wisdom that understands our times and takes steps to ensure our life focus is in the right place. We sang about that this morning. I love Worshiping God with people who like to sing and a, and a band who can play. <laughs> I watch the musicians closely. I'm not a musician. I mean, I'm terrible. But I just love to watch people who know how to play and like to do it. And, uh, it, it the, but to worship and to sing. And we need people with wisdom based in a bedrock faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and we his people as obedient Servants. It's interesting to me how often in the New Testament the word uh, bond servant, Paul will use that of himself, and uh, other places the word is used. And, and the word behind that doulos, it's slave. And literally, a slave of Christ. In Luke, Simeon mentions the fact when he comes uh, into the temple and he sees the infant Jesus and he says, now, Lord, your servant can go in peace because I've seen the Messiah. That word Lord is despotes, despot. Now, 
despot, master, your bondservant, your slave, can go in peace. That's the language that the New Testament uses about us. We need people of wisdom. One last thing here to to set this up. Jesus, in uh, Luke 18, the last phrase, but I have to to give the context so that I can give you this last phrase. So at the beginning, Luke 18, 1, he mentions the fact that that at all times, uh, men and women ought to pray and not lose heart. Then he goes on and he gives a little parable. And this is one, I'm not going to give you the whole parable, but I'll, uh, I'll kind of summarize it here. So he said, in a certain city there was a judge. In that, judge of that, or in that same city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. You remember the, the parable. And, and she kept bothering him. And she kept coming back and hounding him and hounding him. Give me justice against my adversary. And finally, she wore him down. And he, just to get rid of her, he, he says, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice. He just wants to get, give her justice so she won't bother him anymore. Jesus makes the point. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. Because this woman kept bothering him, he finally gave her justice. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay longer, long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. If an unjust judge will give her justice, what about the God of the universe who died and loves his people and died for him? What will he do for his people when they appeal to him? That's the point. But this is the thing for where we're going. He makes this very interesting comment at the end of that. He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will the, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He's just told us to pray, and yet the question for us is, if the Son of Man comes today, will he find faith on the earth? Will God's people literally believe that he's coming and that he's Lord. The wisdom that we live our lives with will demonstrate in a lot of ways whether or not we actually believe that truth. So here in James, we're going to look at wisdom a little bit. Now, just for a a couple of clarifying points here, knowledge, the shorthand, knowledge is the possession of facts, information which we need. But wisdom, then, is the proper use and application of knowledge, skillful use of what we know, uh, of, of how we respond to situations. Um, yes, it includes information, but it includes more than that. And it's, it's how we uh, use the information that we have and apply it. And, and we all have seen this. I, was, uh, I worked for 45 years in the tool and die uh, business. And... Uh, uh, worked on the floor for a lot of years, and the things that I saw some guys able to do with their hands, amazing in tool steel by hand, incredible skill. But the, it's, it's skill, it's information, but there's an incredible wisdom because order of steps and what you do first and all, it's incredible what's accomplished. It's a demonstration of practical wisdom in that case. Um, So James, then, in this book of James, were we to study it, he wants to teach us a living faith, how to live our faith, put some meat on the bones of our faith. 
And so he wants to help us. And so if you flip over uh, to chapter 1, he says, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Verse 6, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. You remember what I just said. Jesus said, nevertheless, when a son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And James says, if you want wisdom, ask God and he'll give it to you. Have you ever prayed for wisdom? <laughs> I About every day, I have to. One of the last things before I would go out to the door to go to work in the morning, working in a tool shop. I had dirty shoes, never wore them in the house. Sitting by the back door, tying my shoes on. And one of my last prayers is, Lord, give me wisdom, skill, recall, knowledge, strength, stamina, zeal for work today. Because I can't do it. I'm amazing what he provided just by simply asking for wisdom. Because I know he's the source of wisdom. And he's, James tells us here, if you lack it, ask him but then don't doubt. Believe that God will give you wisdom. Doesn't mean he's going to give you all the information. <laughs> but we, we, we live by faith. We move ahead in the, in the wisdom that God provides in the moment. So let's look here now in chapter 3. Who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of of wisdom, wise and understanding. Again, wise, the proper use of knowledge, but understanding, skillfully supplying expertise in practical situations. Who is wise and understanding? You could use the words discernment or discrimination or insight or intuition to try to get to the idea of what he's talking about. Wise and understanding. And, and it applies to all areas of life, to the big things, to the little things. You, you, you exhibit practical wisdom when you walk down the, the aisle in the grocery store selecting items. Sometimes it may be based basically on cost because you know where you're at. I'd like this, but I can afford that. There's wisdom being applied. But it applies to every area of life. And so it's wise and understanding. Look at how, what he goes on. By his good conduct, let him show his works. By his good conduct... Uh, he's talking about one who is truly skilled in the art of living. Look at uh, uh, James again. Flip over on mine. It's just over on the same page. Chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. So also faith by itself, is, if it does not have works, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works and I will show you my faith by my works, who is wise and un understanding by his good conduct, let him show his works. Practice wisdom. Ask God for it. For it. Put it into practice. Help me to be discerning, Lord. Interesting, he goes on because um, we can be pretty prideful people. And so he goes on in that same verse, when you're doing this, that your, your good conduct, showing your works in the meekness of wisdom. It's not me going around patting myself on the back, you know, because 
I'm just so clever or I'm just so wise or I've got it all figured out. But it's this idea of gentleness. The New American Standard uses the word gentleness there. It's modesty of mind or humility and not easily provoked. It's an awareness of whatever gifts the Lord has given you, putting those practically uh, into action, using what God has given you, and remember that he's the giver. From the simplest to the most educated among us, the principle applies the same. It's put in place uh, according to meekness. That God is the giver. If we think we're discerning and we got life all figured out to the degree we do, it's a gift from God and we need to be conscious of it. And, and uh, James says there's no room for pride. It's meekness. Remember Moses, meekest man in all the earth. And yet Moses is the one who, who Scripture says, saw God face to face. No one like him. But he also knew where everything he had came from. And so in meekness, practice wisdom. That's uh, I'm, I'm godly wisdom shown in faith works. Now he's going to give us earthly wisdom and it's shown in disorder and evil practice. Let's uh, juxtapose or put uh, two different ways of looking at this. So we're going to put a verse up on the, on the slide now. Worldly wise, those who are, this is Paul's uh, definition of worldly wise. Those who are enemies of the cross of Christ, why are they? Or how are they? Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. That's where earthly wisdom leads. Sadly, often, if we're honest, we find ourselves practicing worldly wisdom because our mind is not focused on Christ and on, on, the, on uh, what the Lord has said. And so we're just trying to figure life out and apply what we think is wisdom and, and Paul says, uh, those with minds set on earthly things, uh, their end is destruction. Godly wise, though, uh, in Colossians 3.1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So you've got the outcome of false wisdom uh, is their end is destruction. And then for the ones who seek Christ, seek uh, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Remembering, and this one I don't have a, on a slide, but remembering that Christ, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.24, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Wisdom personified our Lord Jesus. Everywhere he went, just a fountain of wisdom in his actions, in his attitudes from the time he was a child. Our Lord is the power of God. He is the wisdom of God. He's the wisdom of God because there was this massive problem of sin and how is the, the God going to be righteous and just and still take care of sin and yet have people for his name? How is he going to do it? He sends his son to pay the penalty for sin so that people can become righteous in his sight. Paul says he, be, he, is, the, he is just and the justifier. So he's a just God. He punishes sin. He punished Christ. And he's the justifier. He declares you just on the basis of Christ. It's the wisdom of God. That's Christ. When we wonder what is wisdom, we look to Christ. We look to his word. Earthly wisdom, though, 
leads to disorder and every evil practice. Look at there. It's a pretty ugly list that we have here. If you have bitter jealousy, verse 14, and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Motivations for false wisdom, bitter jealousy, and selfish ambition. It's a resentful zeal. It's, I'm the smartest guy in the room and we all know it. It's arrogance. It's, there's a, there's a bitterness to it that wants to put self first and put others down. Interesting, uh, there as he goes on, he says, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic in verse 15. He tells us not to boast. Look at there in uh, verse 14. If you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Don't project an attitude of superior knowledge and wisdom when coming from the position of jealousy and overbearing ambition for recognition. Look to Christ. If he's gifted you and, 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 and can use you in very unique ways because of what he has taught you or how he has made you, thank God for it. And then with humility, use that gift to help others in the church, in our jobs, whatever. But the, the motivations for false wisdom, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. Then there's the characteristics of false wisdom in uh, verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly unspiritual, demonic. This, this wisdom that did not come from above, this is not the kind of wisdom from God. Remember, this is an interesting little sidelight. When we uh, fall into this where it says it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic, remember, uh, by and large, Satan himself is uh, pretty orthodox when it comes to the gospel. He knows the gospel. He'll speak it into the, your ear in an orthodox way if he can use that to deceive you. And so he says, uh, for instance, James does in chapter 2, verse 19, just across the page, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe. Even the demons believe. They, they know there's one God. If, if, if men and women want to deny there's one God, the demons know. Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Well, the demons believe that and tremble. It's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Look at the last half of the verse. Uh, earthly, the world. Unspiritual, the flesh. Demonic, the devil. The world flesh, and the devil. That's what we struggle against. He gives us some results of this uh, false wisdom then in verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, look back up at verse 14. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, down here in verse 16, where self jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be what? Disorder. In every vile practice, you wonder why things fall apart. Often, it's, it's people who are not living with godly wisdom, but wanting to assert themselves and put themselves forward, fall into an earthly wisdom, and things start to fall apart. 
And he says there will be disorder, commotion, confusion, tumult, uh, um, vile practice, despicable, low-down, ugly wretch. You get the picture. And you've experienced these things. The hard part is, is when it enters the church. Because we get our mind or our eyes off the Lord and we start to assert ourselves, and we're not submitted to the Holy Spirit's leading and then earthly wisdom enters in our thinking and it leads to conflict. And it leads to unnecessary disagreements and, and boy, haven't we seen that uh, in churches in the last couple of years related to all the things that are going on. And I've mentioned this more than once, but the divisions that have occurred over COVID, over issues, uh, cultural issues, over uh, a court case in Kenosha that was just settled this last week, and the disagreements and the lines get drawn and we take sides and we start separating from people that we love over secondary at best, if not worse, things. And we don't put the gospel first. And we don't put Christ first. And we fall into earthly wisdom. And then it becomes unearthly, unspiritual, demonic, disordered, and vile. That's James' opinion, or James' opinion, James' writing. That's our Lord's opinion through James of what earthly wisdom does. Thankfully, he doesn't leave us there. Look at verse 17. This, this, uh, this is uplifting because he takes us now with what godly wisdom observed, what godly wisdom looks like. Look at the motivation and source of true wisdom in uh, the beginning there. Wisdom from above. True wisdom is from above. It comes from God through the Holy Spirit as we submit our hearts and minds to Him. Every good, James 1.17, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, from whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Godly wisdom comes from God. Characteristics. This is this is this is uh, this is sweet now. Uh, so wisdom from above is first pure. It's a wisdom based on faith. It's my prayer that I mentioned every morning before I went to work. So I've been in a trade for years, and I and I, I feel like I've learned it well, and I know a lot about it. And every day I feel inadequate. God, I need you today for practical problems because I don't know how to solve what was usually on my list today. And I just need wisdom. Yeah, I need information. I need wisdom because I have to decide if I go this way, it could work great. But if I make a mistake, it could cost, a, it, we, we'll lose money on the job. I mean, it's just very practical. But then it comes down to when I'm relating with my family and with my church and give me wisdom today because if I'm a fool, it may separate me from people I love. It's a very practical thing. And wisdom that is based on faith, because I can't do it. It's a holy wisdom. It's not double-minded and unstable. Look at chapter 1, verse 8. After, uh, I'll read, start with verse 7. After we've been instructed, if you lack wisdom, ask of the Lord. 
And then uh, ask in faith, not doubting. Verse 7, that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord if we're doubting. Lord, give me wisdom. And I walk away thinking, I don't think he's going to do it. We ask for it, believing he'll do it. Look at verse 8. Because to doubt is a double, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And he says, ask without doubting and receive. There's a very good quote that I saw here. Purity then. It's a pure wisdom. It's God's wisdom flowing through us. And there's this very good quote that was in uh, one of of the commentaries that I, I looked at. With purity as a prerequisite for the rest of the virtues. There's a list of virtues we're going to look here for people of wisdom. With purity as a prerequisite for the rest of the virtues, God's holiness is demonstrated as heavenly wisdom. I love that. And enters this sinful world, but is not affected by it. God's holiness is put on display through his people who simply live with practical wisdom in their lives. God's wisdom. And it flows out through us and literally impacts a culture and changes things. Because God's people live and cry out for godly wisdom. It would remind us, uh, 1 Corinthians 1.20 again, Christ is the power of God. Boy, isn't he powerful. <laughs> it's our security. And he is the wisdom of God. God in the flesh. When we cry out for wisdom. So let's look at wisdom here. He says, uh, it's first pure, then peaceable. Godly wisdom is not full of jealousy and selfish ambition. I don't have to put myself forward. I don't have to always be right. I don't have to always be in charge. Um, Godly wisdom is peaceable. I'm not jealous. I don't have a bunch of selfish ambition. I pursue peace. It's gentle. Godly wisdom is gentle. In other words, it's considerate or lenient. Or willing to be wronged if necessary. I don't have to always win. I tell you, in uh, the trade that I came from, I worked with some very, very strong men. Uh, I mean, opinions. <laughs> you talk about some hardheads, I've worked with them. <laughs> and so I, I know what it is to work or to live in that kind of an environment with with almost belligerence at times. And yet, I have seen where gentleness demonstrated in godly wisdom, and you'll find some of the harshest people that I worked with actually are coming to me asking for advice and input on stuff over time. It's, it's gentleness, considerate or lenient, willing to be wrong, open to reason, does not insist on its own agenda. It's willing to yield, teachable, compliant, not stubborn. It's, 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 I don't have to always be the guy. Here's what I'm seeing. Or here's how I think that this should go. And somebody else sees it differently and I'm willing to yield. Because I don't have to always be the guy. Open to reason. Godly wisdom is full of mercy. Don't we need that? Mercy and good fruits. That we can have mercy. (laughs) 
this or that situation, not every person has the same insight that you do. They don't have that same life experience. Maybe you've been down that road exactly and you know where this is headed. <laughs> and somebody else thinks they know and they don't have a clue. <laughs> but there's mercy in godly wisdom and we, we bring people along. We try not to let people uh, run off the cliff and at the same time, uh, we don't have to steer their ship for them either. So godly wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits and it's impartial non-judgmental and fair. And then lastly, it's sincere. Godly wisdom is sincere. In other words, we're genuine. What you see is what you get. I'm not trying to be somebody that I'm not. Godly wisdom. One of the things about your online life you can put up a persona that's not even close to who you really are and everybody's out there clapping and thinking you're just awesome, like, 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 and they're, they're, they're liking a hypocrite because it's not who you are and you know it. It's one of the cancers of what's going on and it's not wise. It's not godly wisdom. Now, the results of uh, wisdom from above then, look at verse 18. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Look at this. We're going to show two different uh, contrasts here. Proverbs eleven eighteen, A harvest of righteousness is where we're at, but the wicked earns deceptive rain, uh, wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. What is, the, what is the wise person, according to James? Get a harvest of righteousness. And this proverb reinforces that truth that there's a sure reward for the one who sows righteousness. Then there's Stephen. Uh, you remember Stephen, and if you're a deacon in this church, he's the prototype deacon, Stephen. Oh, the first martyr of the church. And there in Acts 6.10, when they're persecuting Stephen and they're going to kill him, I love this, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he, Stephen, was speaking. His mind was immersed in the word of God, totally submitted to the will of God, utterly dependent on the power of God, and they couldn't refute him. All they could do was kill him to shut him up because they knew he was right. Wisdom from above, a harvest of righteousness, and it's sown in peace. There's a dramatic difference when you read verse 14 and verse 15. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And then there's wisdom from above that results in a harvest of righteousness and it's sown in peace. With all the things that are going around us today and the anger that even God's people display, whether it's in their online posts, whether it's the signs they carry and the hate on their face when they're picketing, the lack of godly wisdom. I'm not talking about convictions. 
and needing to participate, because sometimes we do, even in cultural things. But man, we got to be aware of how we present ourselves, because we represent Christ. And when I project hate or disdain because I'm better than you, because I have it all figured out, we're not modeling godly wisdom. And we become part of the vile, unspiritual, earthly, demonic disorder. And we don't want to do that. We want to honor Christ with all that we do. Wisdom from above. So I have for application just some things to think about. I've got three uh, points here. There, there could be more. We're, we're going to go with these three. But here's the first one. We need to both control our tongues and live a life of godliness before a watching world. The context for where we're at in verse 13, from chapter 3, verse 1 through verse 12, he's talking about the tongue. And if you've been in church very long at all, you know that James uh, has a very low opinion of the tongue. Uh, he says there in verse uh, 6, The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and it's set on fire by hell. That's his opinion of your tongue. <laughs> and we need to control our tongues or our thumbs or our keyboard or you know whatever it is. And live a life of godliness before a watching world. Too often the problem with Christianity is Christians. And we need to model godly behavior in both word and deed. And it's hard. When we see Christ being mocked. When we see babies being butchered. Vile lifestyles being put out there like this is how you should live. Then when somebody, uh, when they're coming along and telling us, oh, and that's how you have to start to think, it can be real hard. One thing we have to remember is Jesus isn't threatened by any of that. He is Lord. Big L, O-R-D, Lord. And he's already defeated our enemy and we need to control our tongues and live a godly life just like when Jesus stood before Pilate. Don't you know I have authority to, to let you go or to order you to be killed? I'm doing a bad paraphrase. And Jesus said you wouldn't have any authority if it wasn't given to you by my Father who is in heaven. And we have to realize the same thing. There is no authority given among men except for what God appoints. That included Nero in Jesus' day, one of the most vile rulers in history. And Jesus says, you wouldn't have authority except my father gave it to you. We need to practice wisdom. Number two, we should exhibit zeal for truth as given in Scripture and a little less zeal for what is going on in our news feed. We need to recognize that we're opposed by the world, the flesh, and the devil. We looked at that. The wisdom that's from below, earthly, natural, demonic, don't be shocked when you hear it, when you see it, expect it. Because that's us without Christ. To the degree we have wisdom and are able to make good and godly decisions, it's not because we're so smart, because we're so clever, it's because the Spirit of God has come into our life and changed our hearts and made us usable by Him. And so we exhibit zeal for the truth, capital T, truth. 
Francis Schaeffer used to talk about that all the time. Capital T, true, true, <clears throat> true truth is the way he put it. Because a lot of truth that's talked about today is really not true. But capital T, truth, right here, never changes. And in eternity, you'll be able to open that book and read it. Because God's word stands forever. Zip it, zeal for the truth. And number three, we need to grow as peacemakers who plant a seed of righteousness that is sown in peace. That's in my neighborhood. My wife and I, just the other day, got a guy and his wife live right next to us. Wonderful people, don't know the Lord. And for years, we've talked with them and built a good relationship. And, and Kath has reached out to his wife, who has had some physical needs and brought meals over and other things, prayed with him over there. Um, we're out, and uh, he, uh, John, our friend, he says, uh, boy, we really need prayer. And uh, so they're standing at the end of our, side, our driveway on the sidewalk. We could pray with John. And just about his need that he shared with us there, because he knew we would pray for him. He doesn't know the Lord, but he knows that prayer changes things. And to grow as a peacemaker who can plant the seed of righteousness, it's, this has been years, and here we have this opportunity in front of the world to pray for our neighbor John. And we don't know what God's going to do with that in his heart and life. We pray there can be follow-up. But just as an example of how we need wisdom from the living God in a world that's in turmoil, I hope that we'll continue to be able to meet freely and openly and worship Christ like we have this morning. What if, what if the day comes when we can't? Are we going to get angry and bitter? Are we going to start uh, fighting? Because not all the believers are going to see it the same. Are we going to be angry with the people who don't see it our way? Take sides? Divide the church? Or are we going to come together around the risen Christ and no matter what happens, we're going to worship Him? Give him praise and give him the glory because that's what it's all about in the end. And then ultimately, he is going to come back and he's going to rule and reign and we're going to serve him forever. And it's an awesome, awesome vision. Praise God.